Welcome to Legally Scaling, the podcast for entrepreneurs and tech enthusiasts seeking insights into the common legal challenges faced by scaling businesses. This podcast is brought to you by Ignition Law, a leading law firm for startups, scale-ups and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I'm joined by Emma Carter, a senior consultant in the Ignition Law commercial team. We discuss the regulation of advertising in the UK, including the distinction between broadcast and other forms of advertising, the words and phrases that attract particular scrutiny, and how businesses can mitigate the risk of violating the many rules that apply to testimonials, influencer campaigns, native advertising and pricing promotions. Emma, welcome. Hi, Jake. Great to be here. Great to have you here. To get us started, it'd be great if you could give us an overview of how advertising is regulated in the UK. Yes, so there's lots of different laws in place. However, the key things that govern are so the Advertising Standards Agency, which is also known as the ASA. And they have two codes, the CAP code and the BCAP code. Um, now, the CAP code stands for the Committee of Advertising Practice Code, and the BCAP code is the Broadcasting Committee of Advertising Practice Code. So by their name, so the Broadcast Code, BCAP code, applies to broadcast advertising. So that includes things like teleshopping, interactive TV adverts, um, self-promotional TV channels, sponsorship credits, and those types of, of advertising. And then the CAP code, which is the main one that a lot of people will deal with, is non-broadcast advertising. So print, online uh any promotion you would see in public places, um, any mail shot that you receive in the, in the post. So these codes set out the general principles that govern marketing and advertising. So there's specific requirements in relation to certain areas, so organic products, gambling, alcohol, products and services that are targeted at children. There's also a number of other codes that exist as well that need to be considered. So the Green Claims Code, and that's an area which there's been a lot of focus on because there's a lot of companies making claims in this space and greenwashing as it's called. Um, there's also things like the Guide to Cosmetic Advertising, which obviously working in a beauty company uh, in my other life that I have to look at. And then things like the Portman Code, which deals with alcohol. So previously I worked at Diageo, so that was obviously a really important code that we had to ensure that the advertising adhered to. There's also things like the Financial Conduct Handbook, um, Thankfully, I don't get involved in financial advertising very often, so um, that can be quite technical. So really need someone who has got an expertise in that area. And there's also other things like the consumer protection from unfair trading regulations, which are also known as the CPRs and various e-commerce regulations and distance selling and things like the unfair contract terms. So there's quite a lot to consider, um, but... Really, the key thing that it boils down to um, in most cases is, is the advertising misleading? So would a consumer make a decision that they wouldn't otherwise have made um, had they not seen the advert? So are we being truthful? Is it straightforward? Is the consumer going to get what you're telling them they're going to get? You've mentioned advertising uh, more generally, and we've talked about the difference between broadcast and non-broadcast, but... Are there um, particular types of statements within adverts that are, are regulated in a certain way or, or certain words and phrases that attract particular scrutiny, like potential stumbling blocks to look out for? So, as I said, greenwashing claims is a big area of focus for the ASA. 
Um, so they meet weekly and have rulings. So it's very easy in the UK, unlike other jurisdictions like Australia, for example, where, where I was based up until recently, it's very easy to make a complaint against an advert. So all you need to do is go on the ASA website and lodge a complaint. So television advertising receives significantly more complaints than uh, non-broadcast advertising, just because the very nature of it, it tends to be a bit more controversial. Now, Broadcast advertising does need to go through a clearance uh, house, which is called Clearcast, and they will make sure that any claims that are made within that advert, that there is evidence to back it up. So if you're saying that you're the best performing razor blade, for example, if it was Gillette, let's say, then you would need to have some evidence to back that up, unless it was what's called puffery. So I can come on to explain the difference between advertising and puffery in a moment. But that's the kind of uh, scrutiny that the the television adverts will have. So as I said, the ASA will meet weekly. They will have rulings and then those get published online. So it's very easy for the media to pick those up. Pepsi was one of the companies that had a decision against them, so and that made it into the, the mainstream paper. So one thing to be aware of is the ASA doesn't really have any teeth. From a, there's no fines. However, from a PR perspective, which usually is more damaging than any fine. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned a couple of times greenwashing claims being a particular focus. So for people not too familiar with greenwashing, how would you define it? And is there an example you can give of of where a company has been called out, maybe like Pepsi, for greenwashing in the past? So saying something that's more environmentally friendly, um, that is better for for the environment, um, Pepsi in particular, it was in relation to their recycled bottle claim. So they were claiming that the whole bottle was recycled. So it was 100% recycled and actually the cap wasn't recycled. And although they had a asterisk and a disclaimer saying the cap wasn't recycled, they deemed the fact that 100% meant 100%. You can have an asterisk that was contradicting the, the headline claim. So there's been quite a few other examples in that space, in particular things like plant milks, where they say that they're better for the environment. Now, whilst it might be true, they need to be able to have evidence to show the claims that they're making actually are you know, able to be substantiated and that there's facts behind what they're saying. I guess consumers are a lot more clued up nowadays than they were perhaps a decade or or more ago. And they ask more probing questions and they've learned that companies are using some of these tactics. So I guess regulation is is catching up and um, businesses are being called out when they're not doing this stuff correctly now, which makes it all the more important to get this right. Um, And that transitions us really nicely to the point that you'd started making uh, a little while back about um, substantiating and qualifying advertising claims, and I guess where there might be carve-outs and exceptions. You mentioned puffery, one of my favourite legal words, I guess. But yeah, it'd be good to hear a little bit more about um, those types of distinctions and, and how businesses can approach it in this way. So with advertising, you have objective and sub- subjective advertising claims. So objective claims are ones which are capable of substantiation. So they're not influenced by your personal feelings or opinions. So you're not saying, oh, I like such and such. An example is this skin cream will reduce your wrinkles by 10%. So they have to have gone to usually a clinical study and shown 10% 
reduction in, in wrinkles, but subjective advertising is based on personal feelings or opinion. So they're generally not capable of being objectively substantiated. And one form of subjective advertising is puffery. So it really amounts to no more than praise um, for a product. So you don't actually believe it's true. So, for example, Coors, like their tagline, it's cold as the Rockies. So nobody actually believes that beer is as cold as the Rockies. So interestingly, Red Bull, they have their famous tagline, Red Bull gives you wings. So this was actually successfully challenged in the US. And in the UK, I actually don't think that this would have been the case, but um, I don't think the ASA would have taken the same approach that they actually think that it gives you wings. Um, But they were fined, from memory, it was about 30 million US dollars. And if you see now their advertising, they say Red Bull gives you wings. So they have many eyes um, on their tagline so to to move away from this and they were moving away as well from making kind of specific claims that it increased your mental sort of capacity which um, was was part of the reason why the US decision was upheld so there's quite a fine line um, between some of them and you have to be really careful. Okay so in general if a if a business as part of its marketing is making a claim that consumers will most likely believe to be objective, then that needs to be substantiated. And generally, those will be claims that are capable of substantiation with some kind of, I guess, scientific report or whatever is relevant in the circumstances. Whereas when a business is very obviously making a subjective claim, so for example, a claim that's based on on general opinions, but they're saying things that can't be objectively substantiated. So the great example you gave was cause claiming, you know, it's it's beer is as cold as the Rockies, then that might be seen as puffery, meaning a business wouldn't need to substantiate it and it would be fair game. But there is obviously a very gray area there um, as shown by people getting penalized for for the phrase gives you wings in in the US. And that also brings up the point that marketing and advertising law is not consistent across the world. So when it comes to global advertising campaigns, certain phrases or approaches might be fine in one jurisdiction, but not in another. So it adds that extra layer of complexity. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I mean, quite a good example that's kind of treading the line is Carlsberg. So probably the best lager in the world, I think, is their tagline. Um, now, the fact that they've put that probably there um, is how they get away with, with making that claim. If it was in another context, just adding probably might not get you over the line. So you do have to be careful as to, to what you're saying. Brilliant. Um, so I guess digging slightly deeper now into into different types of, of advertisements and, and campaigns, could you tell us a bit about the law relating to endorsements, testimonials, social media, influencer advertising, that kind of thing, which I know is huge at the moment? Yeah, so obviously the last couple of years have seen an absolute explosion in social media advertising and it's been a big area of focus for the ASA. There's been a huge amount of complaints. I mean, the key thing, um, which is most important, is making clear that it's an advert. So a lot of people have been um, tripped up on this. So Katie Price, for example, um, the number of times hasn't made clear in her um, social media content that uh, it's an advert. And the key, putting hashtag ad is the safest option. So some people say, you know, hashtag gifted, hashtag sponsored, but there is some guidance from the ASA that that 
might not be sufficient in all cases, especially if you're saying it's gifted and you have actually received some form of payment over and above the, the item that has been gifted that you're promoting. So it is an area that you need to be really careful. Even saying brand ambassador is, is unlikely to get you over the line. Um, and you do need to be careful that you make sure that you're distinguishing between different platforms. You've obviously got YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, that you're making it clear on all those different platforms and the fact that you you have received payment. How does that distinction between objective claims and puffery work in, in that sort of social media endorsement context? So I mean, the same principles apply. So any claims that they're making, you need to make sure are true. So it's obviously really important that when you're working with an influencer that you have, well, ideally a contract in place that governs the relationship and that you have full approval because the influencer can also um, have action taken against them. But it's usually if it's a claim relating to the product that that you have either given them or they have gone away and kind of changed slightly, then you as the advertiser would be held responsible because of the fact of the relationship that you have with that influencer and that you're deemed to be responsible for anything that they are, are saying on your behalf. So it's actually placing some onus now on influencers themselves to question or request backup relating to some of the statements that they might be asked to make by a brand that's paying them. Yeah, it is something that we've had to provide to influencers when we've worked with them. So we have to to make sure that anything that we want them to say that they can, that it can actually be substantiated. So in relation to celebrities and endorsements, you've got to be careful that you ensure that you have their consent when there has been cases, there was quite a famous one with Mo Farah where there was a bus advert and they had Mo Goes Mad from Menthol. It was a cigarette advert on a, on a bus and it had just, just the eyes. And it looked very like Mo Farah's eyes. It obviously wasn't Mo Farah's eyes or they, or they had taken a, an image of Mo Farah and blown it up. Um, but they didn't have his consent and obviously he wouldn't be associated with any kind of cigarette or, or tobacco advertising. So he took action against them and the ASA also took action against them. So it's very important that you have consent. And even for just your general Joe, Joe public, if you are filming, making sure that it's clear that people might be filmed... And if they object to that, not only from an advertising perspective, but from a privacy perspective, that because what you don't want to do is make an advert that you have a crowd scene and you focus in on one person and that one person sees it and says, I don't want I don't want you to use me. Most cases, you know, when you're making an advert, it will be that you're using actors or, or, or crowds who want to be in it. But there's obviously some ad- advertising where that's not the case. And actually just yesterday friend of mine was in a, an advertising for a marathon that I saw on Facebook and I just messaged her and said can I just check was that you at 20 seconds in the ad and uh, she uh, she was like oh yeah it's me thanks I didn't know I was in that so um, she's obviously happy to be in it um, yeah so you do have to be careful there's also certain advertising that you have to be so sensitive categories so for example health professionals and celebrities in the promotion of certain medicines is not allowed so that's another thing that you you have to make sure that you consider. So I guess it's, it's always a question of what has happened in the context of a specific scenario, um, which I guess is another reason that makes it such a such a complicated but interesting area of the law. Yeah. In relation to native advertising, so that's advertising that's designed to not look out of place. So you sometimes see it online or often in in newspapers. So it might look like it's talking about 
like a makeup product, but it's not clear it's actually an advert. That it, you know, it's it's more a kind of say an interview with a celebrity, or but it's actually been paid. That advertising space is actually being paid for. So you need to make sure that there is a paid for or a sponsored or some form of highlight that makes it clear that this is actually advertising because it is subject to the cap code. Um, and if it's not clear, then it's kind of would be an automatic upheld complaint. Amazing. So you've spoken to us about endorsements, testimonials, social media and influencers. We've talked a bit about native advertising. The final area I wanted to ask you about was around pricing promotions, because I've heard that, again, in this area, it can, it can be quite easy to get tripped up by some of the tactics that a lot of organizations have historically used. Yeah, so there is a pricing code, and there's obviously the CAP um, or the BCAP code, depending on what form you are advertising in. When you have the was £100, now £50, and also sale periods that have to be made clear. So taking the example of the was £100, now £50. So you obviously have to have sold it at that £100 um, for a reasonable period of time. There used to be a 28-day rule that you know you would have sold it for at least 28 days prior that has changed now um, and it has to but you have to have sold reasonable quantities for a reasonable period and unhelpfully the code doesn't actually say what that reasonable quantity or reasonable period is but if you have a, a sale period for example and your sale period lasts 15 days my view is you would need to have sold that item for the higher price for at least 15 or more days. So you need to make sure that that period length is longer. So there's a number of different rules. So you need to make sure if you are, you're advertising a product at a particular price, that there's actually enough of that product that is going to be able to be available in reasonable quantities. So you can say, oh, um, buy this now for one pound and there's only actually two items for sale. And things like, advertising a product at a particularly attractive price um, to encourage interest and then discouraging its purchase in order to persuade them to buy something different. That's that's not allowed. Falsely stating that it'll only be a, available for a t- particular price on particular terms. So, for example, like a limited time offer where you're really saying, you know, buy now. So you're trying to encourage a consumer to make an immediate decision. Now, if that's true, that's fine. That's allowed. But if it's not, then that's something that uh, would be picked up on. In particular, and things like saying that you're going to cease trading. So you often see these shops on the high street saying, you know, closing down sale. Um, they never actually close down. So, again, something that's not allowed. Um, one area which is particularly problematic is describing a product as free. The key thing is really that the consumer has to be no more than the unavoidable cost of responding to the offer and paying for delivery and again that delivery cost has to be has to be made clear things like if you're labeling a product as new or introductory on the price that's really six months would be the limit that you could could use that kind of label so you just need to make sure that putting a a price information in place that it complies with all the rules because it is really easy to be to be tripped on up on this one so from what you said, it seems like the law in this area is generally trying to stop businesses using the promise of a great deal to hook in a consumer, only for that consumer to then discover they were misled and the deal doesn't really exist in the way they've been led to believe. So again, it comes down to transparency again, and, and as you mentioned, the overarching aim of, of stopping organisations from misleading consumers. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think consumers are quite savvy to, you know, the sale pricing and, you know, is it actually, are you actually genuinely getting a bargain? I guess for companies that have uh, in-house marketing teams, it's so important that they're working with lawyers because uh, you know, a marketer that has not had that experience and that grounding in, in the law around this area might assume that they have a little bit more free reign than, than they actually do. Yeah, I mean, the CAP code and the BCAP code are not written in a legal style. They're written in a very straightforward manner. So they are, you know, I'd encourage any marketeers who, who are watching or listening uh, to look at those codes because they are really easy to kind of and straightforward. And obviously, if you've got a lawyer in, as part of your team or, or have someone like Ignition who you can call on support if you need any help just in deciphering those um, the claims that you're looking to make. But as a first step, reading those codes, as I said, very easy to, to understand um, and make sense of for your average you know, Joe Blogs person. Amazing. Well, that was was so helpful for me as someone who kind of carry out my own marketing when it comes to my my businesses on the side, and I'm sure to everyone listening in, that was that was brilliant. Um, to finish up, we have one final question, and that's what entrepreneur do you admire and why? Ah, oh, that's a hard one. Uh, I do, I really like Cheryl Sandberg in terms of her approach and the Lean In movement. I think it's been really fascinating with the World Cup. So um, I've come from living from four years in Australia and seeing the movement of females and I've seen so many things recently on social media saying women's sport has been dismissed because they don't get the viewing figures and the incredible numbers. So it was the most streamed program in Australia and the I think I've read that the sales of the Matildas um, Tops have outstripped any of the men's overtook the ashes. You know, I've obviously grown up in the time of really seeing females progress in in the workplace and having a daughter myself as well. It's you know, it's really great to see and great to see female sport really take taking a centre stage and and showing an example for kind of both boys and girls growing up. Actually, on the advertising point, I saw an incredibly clever advert. I think it was by Orange. Where, yeah, it was incredible. And you're watching it and they've got all the famous Brilliant. French men's players and you realise the entire thing has been deep faked. And what you were watching is, is women's football. It shows it's come so far and, and there's been such a huge buzz about it in the UK as well. Well, Emma, thank you so much for speaking to us today and thanks to everyone who has tuned in to listen. Whether you need advice on advertising and marketing law and the applicable codes or on any other commercial matters, we can support you every step of the way. If you have any questions, just get in touch via www.ignition.law. Until next time.